We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. What's up, guys? This is the Uncontested Podcast, covering the Oklahoma City Thunder. This podcast is ran by Jacob, Nick, Justin, Taylor, and Kamiar. Listen to future episodes on your favorite podcast streaming service, like iTunes or Spotify. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating. This is Lou Dorch. You're listening to the Uncontested What is up? Welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We are part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host for the day, Jacob Niffin. Today I am joined by Justin Peabody. Hello, everybody. And on the line we have Nick Crane. Hello, hello. I am the only uh, pod member today from Oklahoma City. Ain't that I mean, something? from is not the right word. Well, in. In. Uh, we'll yes. go in Oklahoma City. <laughs> Meanwhile, you two are down in my favorite name of a city, the Big D. Mm, indeed we are. Big it's fan. A big fan of Big D's. I think it's named after us, actually. <laughs> I don't want to speak for Nick, but... <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. The, the average D. Okay. All right, let's stop talking about penis. Can we call you the, the Big O? No? Okay. Did I miss it? Huh? I said, can we call you the Big O? I guess I don't get no. the joke. Okay, Oklahoma City. I don't know. Also, uh, kind of Oscar Robertson. It was oh, a stretch. Okay. Also, okay. Like I thought we were staying on like orgasms. the sexual themes. Yeah, there we go. There we there go. That's is. what I. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> that's what I was waiting for. So. Okay, you made me say it. Uh, yeah. Well, guys, um, 
we were talking pre-pod and uh and i told you guys that i have started for the first time in my life uh, which apparently is surprising for some people given uh my age a lot of people our age i guess uh, have all watched avatar the last airbender when they were children um i never did i i think it was a little bit like i was a little bit old at that time and, and and not into it but i've started watching avatar the last airbender so that makes me want to ask you guys real quick before we get started with the pod today what is the the best like long running story cartoon so you know like like rugrats doesn't really count because it's not like a, a long lasting story it's just a mm. different episode each week uh, of whatever right there's no overarching theme um, but something like Dragon Ball Z would count. So whenever you guys were a kid, what's the most like nostalgic like TV series that you remember watching? Can I say King of the Hill? <laughs> yes. That probably doesn't count. It, well, I think King of the Hill is still incredible. <laughs> I didn't um, watch a ton of cartoons. I guess most of like what I watched. Mainly just porn? <laughs> no. CNBC. No. Um... When I, I, I mean, I watch a lot of the Disney Channel crap, like the the Wizards of Waverly Place and that Sir Raven and stuff. But if we're sticking on, I uh, see. Was Nick? How old are you? Twenty four. God damn it! All right. See, Wizards of Waverly Place was like way after my time. Yep. I'm same sure here. Justin feels the same. Now that's so Raven. I remember watching that so Raven, but Wizards of Waverly Place, like, I feel like that dates me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I I guess. Cartoon-wise, though, I've always been Family Guy, you know, all the way. I never got into King of the Hill, never got into South Park, any of those kind of things, but uh, Family Guy has always been my show. All right, nice, nice. Justin, do you have a different one besides King of the Hill? Uh, Yeah. Well, like, if we're talking about when I was a kid, it was definitely Pokemon. Uh, oh, God, yeah. I mean, it's you just can't beat it. It was every kid wants to... can. Sidebar, can we talk about like Ash Ketchum just being like a 10 year old and traveling the world by himself? Like, yeah, when I was a 10 year old, that's like coming of age. That 10 10 year olds in uh Pokemon was like the coming of age moment, (laughs) right? It's fantastic. When like when I was 10, I was about to go to the fifth grade, yeah, I was running around my backyard pretending I was Ash Ketchum, yeah, and like playing in the sandbox 100%. (laughs) I was Ash Ketchup. One, Ash Ketchup. Ash. <laughs> holy crap! I can't Ash Ketchup that. would be a nice mashup costume. I was Ash Ketchum for Halloween one year. Fantastic! Did you have a Pokeball? Uh, I think I did. Actually, I think the Pokeball was the one that you got from Burger King that had yes. the gold card inside. Fantastic. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I, I had do. a ton of those. Oh man! <laughs> oh man! So good. I, I loved. Uh, I like totally ate up uh happy meal toys as a kid that were like props like that like the pokeball the one i remember most vividly is the uh i forget what it's called but the thing that wipes your memory in men in black oh yeah you know what they had one of those i think it was from burger king also and like dude i thought that was the coolest toy that i could have it, Dude, I went around pretending to wipe people's memories all the time. I remember when the the Pokemon fad was like at its peak. Um, my friend and I, so at what is now CVS, back in the day, I don't know if it's like this everywhere, but back in the day in Oklahoma City, Moore area, uh, they were called Eckerd's. Oh, yeah. And they sold these Pokemon suckers. 
Like they had a Pokemon wrapper and it was a sucker. Once you open the wrapper inside was like a little sticker wrapped around the sucker. And we were trying to collect all 150 Pokemon. And so we would use our allowance and like the money we got from mowing lawns and stuff. And we would go and buy like 60 suckers at a time from this (laughs) Eckerd's. Uh, just we would just clean them Another out. Another Bulbasaur. <laughs> uh, you, did you get? Did you guys play Pokemon cards when you were a kid? So here's the thing. Uh, I had a lot of Pokemon cards. I don't think I ever played a single actual game with them. You just collected. However, what I did play. Do you remember there was a Pokemon card game game for Game Boy? Yeah, because I had it. <laughs> Did you follow all that? I played that game a lot. So I, I played okay, a Okay, but you never version, played with the actual cards? But I never played with the actual cards. Okay. I was the same way. I, I loved watching Pokemon. I never really even collected the cards or played them. But what I did play and was obsessed with and spent way too much of my parents' money on was Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Mm. Okay, see, I played Pokemon cards. Pokemon. But I never got into Yu-Gi-Oh. I've never watched Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, I, I, I've I've never been a Yu-Gi-Oh guy. Same. Well, hey, it, it, anything is better than that that off-brand Digimon bullcrap. Oh, oh, okay. I did watch a little bit of Digimon. So, <laughs> so I um, have I have one more Pokemon anecdote. Okay. Um, when I was growing up, we hosted a Japanese exchange student at our house for uh, I think it was for a summer. They would come and, and study English at UCO. And this was pre-Pokemon. This was before I knew anything about Pokemon, before it had really hit the States. And when she was staying with us, uh, she asked if we knew what Pokemon was. N- none of us had any idea. And she said it was a cartoon, and we offered to take her to Blockbuster. So we go to Blockbuster, and she's looking around. She's looking for a while, and she eventually finds something that she says, yeah. I think this is Pokemon, and we we buy it, or we rent it, and we go home, and she pops the VHS in, and it is, like, 100% like anime porn. Oh, yeah, some <laughs> hentai going on over here. <laughs> and we're sitting oh. there, and she just starts screaming. She's like, no, 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 this is not Pokemon. That's hilarious. <laughs> my entire family is just, like, gathered around the TV, like, uh... Not in my good Christian household. <laughs> terrifying. All right. I can't uh, imagine being her, though. That uh, would be uh, yeah. mortifying. Yeah. Um, I know we're already almost 10 minutes in this podcast, but I have to give my own Pokemon anecdote real quick. Yes, please. Um, because this is maybe this the is best This going to be story. the Pokemon episode, I've decided. Yeah. Um, okay, so did you guys play Pokemon Red and Blue on Game Boy? Absolutely. Okay. 100%. Nick, okay. So I remember having Pokemon Red and Blue and Yellow. Um, and I played the shit out of those games. Mm-hmm. And there was one day during the summer, my mom has been a public school teacher my entire life. Uh, so whenever I was on summer break, she was on summer break. And there was one summer, I was probably in the third or fourth grade. And my mom took my brother and I, and then her friend and their two, her two kids went with us. We all went down to the Jasmine Moranch Children's Museum in Seminole, Oklahoma. Yes, so all right? good. And so the, it's like a, what, like a 45 minute hour drive there or whatever. And so I brought my Pokemon game with my Game Boy in the car and I had already beat the game. I had done the rare candy cheat. So I had like all my Pokemon were level 100 Mm -hmm. and we're driving down the road and the, the, the other kid that came with us, he was my age and he was like, Hey, what are you playing? And I said, Pokemon. He was like, Oh, I have it too. And he pulled out his Game Boy and started playing. 
But this kid was like only on like the third or fourth gym trainer. And so he said, hey, I can't beat this gym trainer. Will you trade me some of your strong Pokemon so I can beat this trainer and I'll trade them back whenever I'm done? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm going to give you this level 100 Gyarados and this level 100 Charizard and all this stuff, right? So we hook up the link cables and we trade the Pokemon. Um, he fights. He beats the gym trainer whatever. We get to the, to the museum. We do our thing. In the afternoon, we're driving home. And I said, hey, can you trade me my Pokemon back because I want to play? And this kid said, no, I think I'm just going to keep them. <laughs> and I was like, uh, you can't do that. He was like, no, you traded them to me. And I was like, uh, I just lost all my Pokemon. So he fell asleep on the ride home. <laughs> so I hooked up the link cable and turned on both Game Boys and traded all my Pokemon back. Yep, as you do. And then... For those of, of you listeners who know that that whenever you start the Pokemon game, you get to choose one of three starters, and you can never find the other two in the game, right? I had started with yep. Bulbasaur. He had a Charmander, which had leveled up to a Charmeleon. So I took that as well. Yes. And then all the other Pokemon that he had in Pokemon, I think red, that I couldn't catch in blue, <laughs> traded all those over. <laughs> then I turned the games off. I turned his back on, and there are two options. There are continue and new game. And if you click new game, it overrides your oh old game. Oh, my gosh. So I overrode his old game. <laughs> Jeez. I still, have, still haven't forgiven that son of a bitch. You know what this reminds me of? I finally watched Uncut Gems last night. I feel like that was the Pokemon version of Uncut Gems. Oh, okay. See, I haven't watched Uncut Gems yet. I feel like whenever uh, whenever he took your Pokemon and didn't give them back and you felt like you had got the bat into the deal, he was kind of Sam Presting you and you were Ooh. the window magic. Oh, there it is. There you go. Yeah. Way to bring it back to basketball, Nick. Good job. <laughs> I typically have to segue us, but... All right, guys. Well, let's talk about some basketball. The a lot of chatter throughout the NBA. We've been getting a lot of notifications from Woj, from Shams, a lot of info from people like Ramona Shelburne and Kevin O'Connor. And so this past week on Thursday, there was a meeting with Adam Silver and the GMs. Friday, a meeting with Adam Silver and the Board of Governors. Woj has reported that he is expect. Adam, God, I can't talk. Woj <laughs> is reporting that this Thursday he expects Adam Silver to give a proposal to the Board of Governors about returning to play. The The official plan will come out on Thursday and that the Board of Governors are pretty much 100% backing Adam Silver and this thing is going to get pushed through. Now, we don't know the exact details of all that. There's been a lot of different things that have been floated out. But what seems to be the most likely the thing gaining the most traction would be that the league is looking at bringing 22 teams down to Orlando. Those 22 teams would be the eight playoff teams from the West and the East, including New Orleans, Portland, San Antonio, Sacramento, and Phoenix from the West, and then Washington from the East to get us to a total of 22 teams. And those teams would play regular season games. I think the report was like five to seven and there would be some sort of play-in tournament for the eighth seed in each conference. So 22 teams, all the playoff teams, plus five from the, the West, one from the East, a handful of regular season games, maybe 
maybe two weeks worth of regular season games, and then we jump into the playoffs where there will be a play-in tournament. Maybe that's part of the uh, the seven regular season games, but a playoff or a play-in tournament to get the eighth playoff spot. What do you guys think of that return to play proposal? I love it. I I honestly I think it. Uh, jokes aside, I think it's a great balance for everybody. I mean, obviously, you can look at this and uh, call it the uh, mental gymnastics to try and get Zion in the playoffs plan, which I think is a, a fair critique, um, giving Nola a, a very healthy shot to get Zion in the playoffs, uh, I think is in the league's best interest. But putting that aside, I think having a little bit of activity and action so that these teams are still fighting for a playoff spot, that's what's going to give it like the initial appeal. I think what I've seen so far out of sports starting to return is that maybe people weren't quite as sports hungry as we anticipated. I think unless there's something on the line, it's not interesting. So if it is a literally a meaningless warm-up game, that they're only playing to get teams to, you know, get back in game shape before the playoffs. Are people really going to be that into it? I don't think they are. But if you bring back some teams who are on the bubble and there's playoff seating and playoff implications on the line, instantly you've created interest back in the league so that people are locked in and absolutely, you know, diving back in head first into the NBA whenever it starts back up. Yeah. See, and that's the thing, too, is it's still so unclear. I, I think that if you're going to do regular season games, it needs to be for those teams fighting for that eight seed and or just do a, a straight-up kind of play-in bracket. Like for, for teams like Oklahoma City and Denver and the Clippers, all those teams that are already solidified as playoff teams, there's no need for them to come in and, and change their seeding, you know. Um Especially for the Thunder, that's that's the worst case scenario. If you drop, you can end up playing a team like the Clippers. If you you know jump Utah, you have a chance of end up playing a team like the Rockets. I think for for the top seven teams, take them straight into the playoffs, and then for that eight seed, have some sort of plan, whether it's you know regular season games to give those teams a chance to get back in it, or if it's just a plan, that's great. But I am strongly against for multiple reasons, including what what Justin just talked about is, uh, you know, regular season games for those teams that are already locked in make no sense to me. Interesting. So what if all of the, the teams, all the 22 teams play those regular season games, but it only counts towards seeding and record for the eighth seed and those teams on the outside looking in? I think that gets tough. Uh, I I understand it, especially if you're one of those teams that's satisfied with your seating, like the Thunder. Uh, the Thunder may be uh, one of the most satisfied teams with their seating right now. But I think where it gets tough is like, how do teams treat that? Are they treating it like a preseason game where we see the you know the starters play for half a quarter and then it's just a glorified scrimmage? And is that what the league wants? I don't know that that. That's a good point. Best. It would definitely raise yeah. the competition level. Uh, mm-hmm. I also think, though, that like a lot of the teams across the league, especially teams at the at the top end, like the Lakers, the the Clippers, the Bucks, are probably going to want to play normal rotation minutes because you're going to want to get these guys back in a groove before the you start rhythm. playing playoff yep. games. Agreed. Yep. Yeah, in in the preseason, 
it's not a huge deal because you you have regular season games, and we've seen plenty of teams come off to a rusty start and end up being just fine because they have 82 games. In this situation, right. you can't afford to be rusty for even right. one or two games. So I, I yeah. think it, it would be definitely a lot more high level than a, a preseason game. But then again, you know, the Lakers still may play LeBron just the first half. Like, At what point does it not make sense to even do that? Yeah, and, you know, while you guys were talking about that, I was just thinking, think of the transformation that the Thunder went through this year. At the beginning, just looking like they were going to be bad and, and exactly, they should tank. Exactly and, what I was thinking. Yeah, then they come around, and now they're like the surprise of the league, and they're probably going to win a, a playoff series. And, you know, just coming back now, after such a long layoff, can can you recapture that? Do are we going to see massive swings like that? It's just it, it's very interesting. Um, so as far as the play in part for the eighth seed is concerned, because Justin, I think you hit the nail on the head here. This is we want to, to me. This is the NBA wanting to get somebody that's going to get better ratings in the playoffs. Like yep. if if New Orleans was in the eighth seed right now. Would we be talking about a playoff <laughs> right? play-in if Portland? I think it's a fair question. If Portland was in the eight seed with Dame and CJ, are we talking about that, or are we just talking about it because it's Memphis and a small market team? Yeah, I yeah, I think it's a totally valid question. No offense to Memphis. Um, Memphis has been freaking good, you know. They've that, been that, yeah, they've been fun too. That's my thing. Is like they proved it. Like I see a whole lot of people, like New Orleans people, on Twitter. You know, oh, look at our record against Portland and right. and Memphis and this and this uh, during the season. We deserve a chance to get – look at your whole goddamn record throughout the season. <laughs> right. Like, let, let's not pick – oh, well, if you look at the games I won, I never lost a game. Like, F you, dude. <laughs> if you wanted to get in the playoffs, win the damn games. Well, I think that's what will be interesting is seeing how te- how quickly – our team's able to hit it stride again, especially for those teams that are competing on the bubble, but even for Oklahoma City as well, they were really in a rhythm. Like they were looking so good right before the league stopped that I think kind of team confidence and chemistry was probably at an all-time high for the season. I think that's fair to say. And I, I wonder how quickly do they get back to that point? To your point, Jacob, they started the season and it was rough. I don't think it'll be that rough again because you're not reacclimating, you know, everybody to a new situation. They played with each other, but I feel like it'll probably take a little bit to to start striking on all cylinders again. And when I factor in a guy like Chris Paul, who has age concerns, you know, he's looked great all season. But is there any guarantee that he continues to look great? I don't know. Does the rest help him? It absolutely could. You know, he's he's had a history of injuries in the playoffs. Does this help with that? I don't know. There, there's just so many unknowns with this format that it's going to be fascinating whenever it does come back to see how it affects teams. So this is going to sound harsh, and this is not like a new theory or new take, but I think plenty of people have said this and agree with this, but... You look at a team like Portland who definitely has the talent to be a playoff team and a team that could actually um, do something in the playoffs, like especially in the first round, but you're 29 and 37. I exactly. don't no feel shit, bad right? for you at all. I, I get I get kind of where New Orleans is coming from. We didn't have Zion for a good portion yeah. of the season. Boo-hoo. Injuries happen to yeah, everybody. And Portland would say the same thing, right? We didn't have Nurk. We didn't have Zach Collins. Right. 
But it's part of basketball. It happens exactly. every year to every team. Yep. I think so, it's fair. So then is it fair to Memphis now that who busted their ass all season and played great that now they're going to come back and maybe just get thrown in a pot and whoever comes out gets to make the playoffs whenever Portland brings back, you know, Nurkic and Zach Collins, whenever uh, New Orleans is, is fully healthy, you know? that that That's my next question for you guys. How should the play-in aspect work? Should we just go based off their record and these teams that are on the bubble have seven games to try to overtake the eight seed? Should it be basically start everyone at zero and zero and whoever has the best record at the end of it comes in? Because I think that is an inherently unfair. But, I, I mean, I, I don't know what the, the answer is. If there is a play-in or, or some kind of, of format to where one of those teams could jump into the eight seed, the only way that I think it's fair, to especially to a team like Memphis, you do a four-team bracket, three-game series, winner of that of that mini bracket takes the eight seed. But then you look at the Eastern Conference, how does that work with yeah, with Washington right. being the only team? You, exactly. You, I mean, it's it's like... You give them a series to prove they're better than the team above them. Well, they haven't been all year. Yeah, and, and you want to talk about bad records. Look at Washington's. You know, um, I, I if there's some sort of tournament, to me, it has to be all of the bubble teams plus the two eight seeds. And the two eight seeds should automatically get like a 2-0 head start or something. <laughs> like well, the, the yeah. 60-something games we played has to mean something. Well, the thing is... Washington is 24 and 40, five and a half games behind the eight seed. Even if you give them seven games, <laughs> yeah, like they're yeah. not gonna they're right. not gonna jump five and a half spots over the the Magic who are in the eight seed. Like you have exactly. to, you'd have to have 15, 20 games to do that, and that's all that was left in the season. Yeah, you had to have 15, 20 games and get incredibly lucky. Yeah, you know, I feel like they just had to invite Washington to have somebody on the bubble from the East, but really the East is kind of set. And I think that's what makes the play in part hard because I feel like it has to be kind of equal ish ground for both conferences. It's already sounding like it's not going to be identical because there's a lot more teams in the West that are so-called, you know, on the bubble. But if you turn that into a play in other than, you know, eight versus nine plays a game or plays a best of three or, or whatever, I don't know how you do that. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting, and somebody's going to be pissed off. Absolutely. It's probably going to be Portland, given past track records. They just yeah. <laughs> seem to be yeah. pissed off this well, whole season. Not, not. I mean, I don't, I don't want to change topics completely, but I, I'm fascinated in your guys' takes on the 1-16 through 16 versus keeping it conference-specific, like the, the traditional playoff format. I mean... Not just for Oklahoma City, because obviously it's. It, I think it's more in favor of uh, East versus West based on who they're going to match up against. But but from an unbiased point of view, what are your takes on one through sixteen versus the traditional playoff format? Are you talking about one through sixteen for just this season or just moving forward? This this season. Um, Justin, you mind if I take it first? Go for it. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but really go. Um, I don't like it. 
I don't like it for a handful of reasons. Number one, we've already seen if you take the the standings as is and you go one through 16, you are now making Milwaukee beat the Clippers and the Lakers to get to uh, the to, to win a title. Um, I, I think Eastern Conference teams would hate it. And in a season that's already been crazy, that's already been broken up because of COVID-19, that everyone's already talking about the asterisk idea, you know, this champion isn't going to be a real champion, blah, blah, blah. Messing it up even further, mixing it up even further, just pours more fuel on that fire. Now, the flip side of that coin, I understand, hey, it's already a weird season. Let's just go balls to the wall and make shit weird. Like, I I understand that. Like, I can see that. Hey, it's already off the rails. Let's just completely go out into left field and, and just have fun with it. I can kind of see that. But I don't think a lot of the teams would like it. Yep. And in my personal opinion, it's it's already haywire. So let's just make it as normal as possible. I also think it's unfair to change the rules of the playoffs at the end of the season. That's if you exactly, want to do one through yep. sixteen, go for it. But you, everyone has to know in July before the season yep. starts. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is you know teams leading up to this break had been starting to look at playoff scenarios and probably you know playing and strategizing accordingly. If you change that now, I think that makes it tough. I think the only way that I um, kind of get on board with the one through sixteen idea. And it kind of solves what we were talking about earlier. This is where I was of, about to go. You know, Washington being so far back is if you do one through 16 based off record, regardless of conference, not eight from the East, eight from the West reseeded one through 16, but just the 16 best teams. The problem with that is exactly what you just brought up, Jacob, of I don't know if that's fair to make that call right now, but I think in general, like I'm, I'm kind of okay with that idea you know, Washington has no business being there and maybe we should just leave them out. But if Nola has a has a better case to be there over, say, Orlando, then they should get to do it. Let me tell you a secret real quick. And it's not a secret. It's the worst kept secret <laughs> in the NBA. If that goes to vote, I think you have to have two thirds majority yeah. uh, from the Board of Governors. You have 15 automatic no's. Yep. Absolutely. The East it, will never go absolutely. for that. No, not because at all, nor should 10 they. or 11 teams from the West will get in and only five from the East. Yep. Because the East sucks. And, exactly. And that's what scares the crap out of me, though. I know that the voting portion of it gets hard, but there's really no way, like we've talked about, to make it consistent between both conferences and that eight-seed play-in without doing something like that. One through no, I, I totally understand. You know, like... What if they did something where they took the, what is it, the five teams from the West, the one team from the East that are on the bubble, that's six, and then you take the two eight seed, that's seven and eight, and you do some sort of play-in tournament and just the best two teams make it to the playoffs. So NOLA might be the eight seed in the East. And I also think if you do something like that where you go one through 16, no conferences, you know, no, no play-in from each side, at that point maybe it does make a little more sense for all of the teams to play six to seven more games and see how it shakes out as far as final seedings. Yeah, it's... Hmm. 
like we said, it's a mess, and people are going to be pissed off. Teams are going to be pissed off. You're not going to be able to make everybody happy. Yep. Um, I think Zach Lowe summed it up perfectly, though. Like, don't bitch. If you're a team that's not getting invited back, if you're a Damian Lillard saying, I'm not going to play unless I have a chance at yeah. the playoffs, whatever, don't bitch. This is about the financial future of the league for the next yeah. five years. Totally. And I think that it sounds like, at least from the you know Board of Governors perspective, they understand that. It sounds like there's pretty broad support behind Adam Silver. And so I think that you know personal biases and agendas aside, I think at least right now, it seems like there's a fair amount of unity and kind of understanding of the bigger picture. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to have to smooth the cap whenever this yep. massive cap hit happens. Uh, they didn't want to smooth it whenever everyone got paid, but now yeah, that right. you know <laughs> right. it, it's plummeting, they're going to smooth it. But I'm yeah, we're talking financial implications to 2025 for the league. Yep. We're talking the whole CBA is going to have to be re- renegotiated. So suck it up, deal with it, right? Just like you have to deal with the crappy hotel. Yeah, <laughs> dude. I have to say, I have stayed. Uh, my wife and I took a trip to Disney World a few years ago. We didn't stay at the resort that's at the Wide World of Sports, but we stayed at like the cheapest resort you can pay for at Disney World, and it looks exactly like the one they're talking about at yeah. the sports complex. And it is legitimately like it. It feels like you're staying in a motel. It's uh, it's not great. And I can, I can imagine if I was an NBA athlete, uh, I, I wouldn't be too psyched about that. But yeah. like you said, suck it up. You got to. You got to. All right, guys. Last thing I want to ask about, cause, and, and Nick's kind of alluded to this multiple times, if these regular season games that are going to be played down there do account towards your overall record and your seeding, there is a good chance that the Thunder don't end up at the five seed playing the four seed Utah Jazz. There's a good chance that the Thunder could possibly climb and the Jazz without Boyan Bogdanovich could fall. Yep. And if that's the case, the Thunder, I, I, I think if you pulled all Thunder fans right now, all things considered, Utah is the preferred matchup in the first round because it looks like that's a matchup that they could really win. That might not be the matchup though. And if it is not, who is another team in that top eight where the Thunder could possibly play? I don't think they're going to slip to eight and play the Lakers. I don't think they're going to jump to one and play Memphis. So besides that, so I guess really two through seven, mm-hmm. who is the next team that you feel most confident about the Thunder playing in a first-round series? I think, and this is certainly possible, if, if Oklahoma City were to jump to four, and this team were to jump to five, but the Dallas Mavericks have the talent to, to to rise. Big D, big D rising, and they don't have playoff experience. I know Luca's great, Porzingis is great. That's a team. I I think they would push the Thunder to six or seven, but I like that matchup almost as much as Utah. All things would have to fall perfectly for that to happen, Hmm. but I would be completely content with that. Dallas has some injury concern as well. Who's, um, I can't think of his name. Who's the reserve big man? Dwight Powell. Dwight Powell. Uh, Dwight Powell being out is, is a factor for sure. So I I didn't even think of Dallas. I like that one, Nick. Um, Justin, do you have a team in mind? You know, it's it's hard. Uh, I don't think there's anybody that's as good of a matchup as Utah. But is it insane of me to say Houston? 
I feel like it's playing with fire and I feel like it would be uh, almost too good to be true to get those teams to match up in the playoffs. But I just, I am not sold on Houston, especially coming off of this break. I feel like they were, they had some good stretches recently before the season stopped, but I don't know that this layoff is going to help them other than, you know, letting PJ Tucker get some oxygen. Uh, I just, I don't know how they're going to look in the playoffs. I think there's so many question marks with that team that it could, you know, they could catch fire and blow the thunder out and it could be a five game series. Like that's totally plausible, but I could also see it going the other way of just the pocket rocket looks abysmal. They can't hit a three and it falls apart. I don't know. It's that's, I mean, I think you're totally right. It could go either way in, in a major way. And I think that, I'm kind of in the opposite boat. I think it's more likely that they're at their best in the first round. If if we're talking who would you rather see in the Western Conference Finals, Houston probably because they're they're going to be so tired, so beat, you know, from from running these small ball lineups and not playing a bunch of guys, but in round 1 when everybody is, you know, fully healthy, fully um, you know, I mean it, as, as far as stamina goes and not playing yeah. back-to-back games, I think Houston might be better early on than they are That's later. That's a good point, too. Yeah, I I totally agree with that, Nick. Um, I I would rather the Thunder play Denver in the I first round I was just about to ask, Houston. what about Denver? It, I don't know. Denver, I feel like Jokic just gets the best of Steven Adams. I think that's fair, but I also I like Chris Paul – over Jamal Murray. I yep. like Shea Gilgis Alexander over the struggling Gary Harris this year. The problem is that Denver has a stable of wings that the Thunder just can't match. Yeah. It, they have opposite strengths a little bit. Yeah. It would be interesting. So you would would you pick Denver over Houston as a preferred opponent then? Yes. Yes, okay. definitely. Uh but but I'm with Nick in that Dallas would be my first choice. Yeah. I think if, if at I all possible I would, I would take Dallas. Uh, then if Utah's out of the equation, it would go Dallas, then Denver, then Houston, then the Clippers. Yeah, let's just get Utah. I think that's <laughs> that's the best route here. Yes, I uh, I think I would agree with that. All right, guys. Well, before we move on, let's take a quick minute to tell you about our sponsor for the day, BetOnline.ag. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament that you can enter for free. And live right now on Bet Online's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet Online, your online wagering solution.
All right, guys. Um, so over the past few weeks on this episode of the show, the Monday morning episode, we have done trade scenarios for the Thunder's vets. We started with Chris Paul, moved on to Steven Adams and Dennis Schroeder. Last week, we traded away Danilo Gallinari. And so this week, I figured we would shift to the young guys. And I kind of wanted to clump them together and discuss what we think their trade value across the league is and what possible deals the Thunder could get for these young guys. So the guys in question tonight that we're going to try to trade away, Hamadou Diallo, Terrence Ferguson, Darius Baisley, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Pass. So let's let's start with two guys that I think we can kind of clump into the same bubble, which would be Hamadou Diallo and Terrence Ferguson value across the league for those two what 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 are your guys's thoughts it's tough i think it's tough to assess their value honestly i think terrence ferguson has been so up and down um not just this season but just over the course of of his time with the thunder thus far i think we've seen some really high highs from him but we've also seen some very low lows and i think that makes it a little tough to get a read on him and i think he's one of those players that ultimately the Thunder probably view him higher than anybody else in the league does. I think because they've seen his potential, I feel like if someone is on your team and has potential, you tend to view that potential higher than anybody else does. So I'm not sure that Terrence Ferguson's really going to net in return what the Thunder would hope to get for him. Hami is a little easier because I don't know that the the optimism and the the ceiling on Diallo is quite um, there. I think that we kind of know what he is. Uh, he's crazy athletic, but he's not going to be you know some super slick ball handler. He's not going to be some high efficiency scorer. Uh, he's a spark plug, and I think there's a place in this league for spark plugs. But I don't know, you know, what does that look like in return? I, I think it depends on the team. Yeah, they're both guys, you know, without throwing in other pieces of the puzzle and picks and all that good stuff. I think they're guys that the only value you'd get back is kind of a position swap. You know, you've got Diallo, you've got Ferguson, both shooting guards. Ferg can play a little bit of that small forward. But really, what you're going to get in return is a point guard or a center or a power forward. Somebody that the Thunder view as a long-term project, kind of like they do with these two guys. But it's but it's to a team that's kind of given up on, on a different position. That'd be just kind of a position swap. Um, that being said, with their contracts, they could be enticing, you know, hypothetically, like a New York trade. We're talking about... You know, Chris Paul going to New York and, and getting a guy in return like Kevin Knox. What if the Thunder started to trade Diallo for Kevin Knox or Ferguson for Kevin Knox to, to kind of match that low salary since they're on their rookie scales and start to shell out first-round picks to get a guy on that rookie contract? Because both these guys, although they're not valuable by themselves, I think if a, if a team like the Knicks is going to give up on a Kevin Knox, getting a young shooting guard like Diallo who – could have a bright future, so still young, all that good stuff would be a guy that could fit nicely with some picks coming their way as well. Yeah, I think he could fit nicely, but I don't think I would consider either of them a sweetener. 
I don't think yeah. that that if you're Presty and you're trying to get, say, a Kevin Knox, or you're trying to get a pick from the Knicks and you're trying to cr- trade Chris Paul and you say, well, I'll throw in Terrence Ferguson or I'll throw in Hamadou Diallo. The Knicks are going to say, mm, okay, right? G- <laughs> give me cash instead. Like, yeah, I disagree. And, and trying to And trying to be unbiased and, and not look at this with thunder-colored glasses, in my honest opinion, I think if you just traded either one of those guys individually you're looking at getting a second round pick i think that's fair but i also think that what nick said i think it is a is a plausible scenario but it it ultimately ultimately becomes just kind of trading prospects yeah that's all you're gonna get i'm I'm with that as well you like you could trade ferguson and get the ferguson version of a power forward yeah right Mm -hmm. i think that's possible um, I also think very much you could pair one of those guys with a Chris Paul trade, but I don't think that moves the needle in like a Chris Paul trade or a Dennis Schroeder yeah. trade or a Steven Adams trade. I, it I more I, so probably just makes like the money work. And and Justin, you mentioned like, like we've seen high highs from Ferg, but we've also seen lows. Well, that inconsistency is seen as a negative across the league. Right. Yeah. I, and that's exactly right. I think that the Thunder might tend you know depending on how they feel about ferguson but they might tend to view that more positively than like you said anybody else would i think what it comes down to is i think these guys are only getting moved if and when presti feels like their potential uh has been shown when he knows what they are and i think that's how we've seen him kind of move these players in the past when he feels like they don't have another level that there's nothing else. The thunder development staff can untap. Then I feel like he moves them and he's willing to bring in another project who another team might feel similarly about. And then who knows, maybe the thunder and Sam Presti are able to uncover a new level with that player. Jeremy Grant comes to mind. Now trading Ursan Ilyasova is not the same as trading Terrence Ferguson, but Jeremy Grant had some time. Ursa Mana pick. <laughs> right. Um, he had some time in Philly, and they felt like, you know, they kind of saw what he was, and they, they moved on, and they went in a different direction. I think that the Thunder were able to develop him in a way that Philly probably wouldn't have been able to. So I think that if somebody comes available, you know, it's it's going to be another prospect, and Typically, it feels like, you know, more often than not, those don't work out. But when they do work out, like Jeremy Grant, they can be a pretty great player. So going back to the only worth a second round pick, you know, or a team would rather have cash. I, I disagree on that. I We are a bit biased just because we watch these guys play all the time. Uh, I've been watching them for a couple of years now. I think outside of, you know, maybe the first five to eight second round picks that are that are more like like late first round guys that slip to the second rather than true second round picks. I don't think Sam Presti trades either of these guys for a second round pick and I think that almost any team around the league would trade, you know, pick 45 for either of these guys. Yeah, no, I, I don't think Presti yeah. would would trade either of them for one of those picks either. I agree. Um I'm saying I don't know on the open market if any team would offer more than pick number 35 36 for him. But I think 35 36 yeah. is a good pick. I mean there's guys t- t- in my eyes pick 20 
eight versus pick 35 is just There's a, not whole a lot, lot of luck. Yep. Yeah. No, I'm with you totally. Um, and I, I think that's maybe individually the best value you could get. Now, Justin mentioned it earlier. Value is determined by the team, right? Like if, if somebody needs a defensive shooting guard, uh, maybe they're willing to to trade a little bit more for a Terrence Ferguson. Maybe including Terrence Ferguson in a bigger deal motivates them to actually pull the trigger on a deal. Which, when before Terrence Ferguson was included in the deal, they wouldn't pull the trigger. You know, so I I think positional need and team need also plays a role here. Um, okay, so let's move on to Darius Baisley then, and this is I think going to be an incredibly fascinating conversation. <laughs> The the value of Darius Baisley in the league and what the Thunder could trade him for if they decided to do so. So I'm going to take everything I just said about Terrence Ferguson and amplify it as far as the potential. I think that the Thunder see Darius Baisley's potential um, probably infinitely higher than any other team in the league and I think that makes trading him is going to be tough and I don't that's why I I don't see it happening because I think the Thunder are going to uh, ride it let it ride its course and see where Darius Baisley nets out because I think they they believe he can be special I think everyone else in the league probably sees you know a decent player but I don't think anybody believes in him like Sam Presti and the Thunder staff do at least in my eyes, um, you know, who knows behind the scenes, they might not believe in him at all. But from what I've seen, I think there's a fair amount of optimism around this kid that I don't know is shared outside of the Thunder Clubhouse. I've got a question on Baisley. Um, and I know that the, the casual NBA fan is not who would be making this trade. But if you were to pull 100 casual NBA fans from all across the league, you know, fans of, of every single team, what percentage of those people do you think either know who Darius Baisley is, has heard his name, or if they have heard his name, actually know what position he plays or what he looks like? I think it's pretty low. <laughs> I think they might know who he is as like, oh, yeah, the New Balance, the guy that went to New Balance instead of college, and that's probably how they know him. Yeah. So the the second question of like know what he looks like or what position he plays, I feel like that is probably pretty low. I just I just I, don't see him get again the infinite higher trade value the Thunder seen him. Again, he's the second youngest player in the NBA right now. Like like that's that's valuable in itself for Oklahoma City and other teams would yep. look at that as a high value too, but I just think the and the nail on the head again, Justin, is the, the infinitely higher value Oklahoma City sees in him versus other teams. There's just no way a trade would even happen. I can't even pick pinpoint a player in this league that I think would make sense other than maybe trading back on, on what you did on trade night and trading Baisley plus that second rounder from Memphis back to them um, to, to get who you, who you originally could have drafted is the only thing I could think of. And I think Memphis says, heck no to that like yeah. I, I i think they're they're very happy with brandon clark and and they should be he's a great player i think over time we'll see if Baisley ends up being the better fit you know like you mentioned the second youngest player in the nba the timeline factor i think is a huge piece um and that that factors into his ceiling as well definitely so i have a few thoughts here the the first one is i just forgot his name the kid from memphis 
Brandon Clark? Brandon Clark. Okay. <laughs> I th- Am I wrong to think that he's, if not at his ceiling, very close to it? I don't know if I'd go that far. I agree. Um, I don't think I would either. Because he, I mean, he's still a rookie. And yeah, but he's a, like a 24 year old rookie. Yeah, but it's hard to say that any rookies at their ceiling, even if they're 24. Yeah, I think just adapting to the NBA game is going to allow him room to grow. But I think I know where you're going with this. And just talking about, you know, overall development growth, obviously the 19 year old versus the 24 year old, the 19 year old is going to have more variance in what his development could look like. Yeah, I, I think I definitely think Darius has a lot more room to grow. Uh, I would also say I think Darius Baisley um, is has the possibility to be much more versatile than Brandon Clark. Uh, with that, with that being said, this argument I feel like between those two really boils down to um, potential versus uh, what somebody already has. Yep. Right. And, and yeah. so that's an interesting argument. And I think the, the youth p- portion of that is also massively important. Darius Baisley is going to be, excuse me, is going to be younger <laughs> than like over half the first round picks in 2020. Yeah. Which like, you know, we're talking about how he's the second youngest player in the league or whatever right now. Like he is going to be younger than half the new crop of players coming in. And that's, I think that's pretty significant. I think he's got some decent value across the league because of that skill set, because he came in this season and was able to play and play good defense, I think is is a big thing. I think it's a lot easier to get a player up to speed offensively in the league than it is defensively. And then I think the age. I th- To me, Darius Baisley's trade value is if you're trying to get a pick from New York for Chris Paul, and you decide, okay, we'll throw Darius Baisley into the deal. Now the conversation changes. I, I don't know what mm. – I don't think the Thunder would trade him solo because they wouldn't get what they think his his worth is. They value him more than other people do, like you guys have said. But I think if you're throwing him in as a pot sweetener to get a another team to budge, I think he definitely has the ability to do that. I've got yeah. two questions for you guys. Okay. We may have already discussed number one on the podcast, so if we have, just give me your answer again. If Darius Baisley is in this upcoming 2020 draft, where does he go? Ooh. God, because this is a bad draft. He probably right. goes – he definitely goes top 20. He might go lottery. I mean, the back end of the lottery this year looks bad. I think the question still remains of what was there in last year's draft is are we evaluating him – with you know the year of proven NBA experience, that's what or, I was doing. Or is he is he coming off of a, a New Balance internship? If we're if we're going off what we've seen from him this year, I think he's a lottery pick in this next twenty twenty draft. I don't know if I'll go lottery, but I definitely I think he goes higher next year than he did last year for sure. I think there were so many question marks around him coming off of the year off of seeing how that would pan out and translate to the NBA that I think just seeing that he wasn't a complete bust on the court is enough to build some more confidence in him from, for teams. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. So here, here's my second question and, and answer this question fully knowing, you know, where Baisley was drafted, 
um, what you actually think his ceiling is, not what it could be based on his age. But Brandon Clark this year in just 21 minutes a game is averaging 12 points, 6 rebounds a game, 79% from the line, and 40% from 3 on on low attempts. But but the 3-pointer is clearly there. Per 36, that's 20 rebounds or 20 points, 10 rebounds a game. Just just taking that into consideration and what you think Darius Baisley's actual ceiling is. If Baisley in five years is putting up those numbers on that efficiency, do you consider him a success? And that being said, do you care about Brandon Clark's age in a hypothetical trade back? I think that would be a success. I mean, if you average 20 and 10 in the league, that's <laughs> pretty fucking good. Yeah. Um, my, my caveat to that is, again, I think Baisley will be more versatile. I think Baisley can, can be a point forward uh, in a sense. I think he will average more assists than Brandon Ingram will. I think um, he'll be able to handle the ball, bringing up the court, initiate offense. And so d- does that affect... Um, my thoughts and and a possible trade back. I think yes, that would definitely uh, alter. Like I, I, Brandon Clark's age would still matter to me because if in five years Baisley is averaging that, that means he's been a pretty damn good player from this point up to building up to that. And at that point, he's 24 and still has room to grow. Uh, so you've already got five years of good basketball out of him, and then now he's he's at twenty and ten a night. Um, where five years from now, Brandon Clark will be twenty nine years old. You know, so I I do think to me the the age is a regardless of of how Brandon Clark turns out and and what Darius Baisley ends up doing, the age is the the massive equalizer in this. Yeah, I agree, and I think it's because of the Thunder's window. Thinking about the timeline of Darius Baisley in conjunction with the Thunder returning to championship contention, I think five years from now, if Baisley's averaging 20 and 10, he's probably a pretty darn important piece to a championship contention team. If Brandon Clark is 29, he may still be valuable, but is he a anchor for a team that's trying to win a championship in five years, maybe. Um, but if you're trying to do, as Presti has so often talked about, sustained success like we've seen from the Thunder for the next decade, Darius Baisley obviously makes a lot more sense from a timing perspective. Fair I'm enough. with you. Um, and I don't think Darius Baisley's like, if if you made me take a guess right now, he will make zero all-star appearances. Right, like I, I don't think that's going to happen. I yep. do think he could end up being a pretty solid starting four in the league for a long time, with with his skill set, with his length, with his versatility. Um, you know, Serge Ibaka has never made an All Star game. Serge Ibaka has been right. pretty damn important to the league. Yep. Uh, I don't even know if I would put him on the impact level of Serge, uh, who was taken around the same draft pick. Serge was twenty four and Bays was twenty five. Yeah. yeah. But I, I could see, not the style of play, but I could see Baisley having close to a career that Serge Ibaka has had. Serge was definitely not 19 <laughs> when he was taken. Kind of like Buddy Heald. Uh, Got drafted at a 36 years old. <laughs> All right, last one. We got to talk about Shea. Mm. What, what would, this isn't going to happen. 
there is a 99.9% chance the Thunder do not trade Shea Gilgis-Alexander. But Presti's pulled the trigger on a lot of things before. And if the, the deal is right, he'll pull the trigger. What is the value of Shea Gilgis-Alexander across the league? I will start this one just because I really only have one thought on this at the moment. Um, he is the exact opposite of, of Terrence Ferguson, obviously, when it comes to trade value, but the way that that would work. So, like, Terrence Ferguson's a guy that the Thunder value more than any other team will, so trade just isn't really plausible just because you wouldn't get anything in return worth trading him away. It's kind of the same for Shea because anybody you would trade him for would be a young future star that already fits in their system. So, like, for example, there, there might be 10 guys I would trade him for right now, one being Jason Tatum. The Celtics already know what Jason Tatum is, you know, is as a player right now. They know that he fits in their system. They know that he is a good locker room guy, gets along with the front office, the coaching staff, etc. Why would they pull the trigger on that trade, even if Shea was a bit better right now, which I don't think he is? You don't trade away a guy that you know works in your system, and anybody that Thunder would trade Shea away for would be a guy like that. What about picks? I if, what they, if, did, the if Thunder, they didn't already have seventeen thousand in the next three years, maybe. Let, let's say twenty twenty one. The Thunder want pick number two, and they're currently sitting at pick number ten. Does ten and Shea get you up to two? Absolutely, but they would never do that. Yeah, it becomes you know what are you hoping pick two to be? I mean, how much confidence do you have that you know pick two is a perennial all-star starter or something like that because I feel like if you're depending on how much you're willing to give up that's a pretty big gamble when I feel like Shea Gilgis Alexander like how many number two picks from the last 10 years is he already better than yeah even number one yeah there's been some bad picks and it's because the draft is a gamble and I think like what Nick said when you have a sure thing that you know works it's hard to give that up for potential and you know James Harden chance at somebody that's good James Harden well that was Are you asking if you trade him for Harden no no I'm saying like that's what <laughs> Presti did right a right. young guy that yes. had a lot of potential that you know works and it's you gave him up true, for potential but he was a, think, he was the third fiddle and he already had Katie and Russ there's yeah, no Katie and Russ say, on and, his team and that that trade <laughs> for the Thunder's sake is a very bad example because right. however much I love Stephen Adams holy shit you know, yeah. no, I mean, if Presty knows what James Harden becomes, like if it's just based off what James Harden was, it might not be a great trade. It's not a terrible trade. It's a terrible trade because of what James Harden became and what he is now. And is Shea in the same boat? Obviously, we can't know that, but the potential is there. You already know he's good and the potential is there to be even better. So. Going back to the draft scenario that Jacob mentioned, it's fascinating. Even looking at number one, I want you guys to take a step back, look at Zion, who is going to be a surefire number one thing. You know, number one pick, going to be a franchise guy, but he had the, the injury concern. If you could go back and trade Shea, knowing what he is now, so you have that benefit, knowing what he is in the Thunder, would you even take the risk of trading up for Zion? I think, yeah. I think that Zion yeah. has the the. I mean, I'm high on Zion, but you no. Know, and, were you that high before he got drafted and has done all this stuff, knowing his injuries and and people worried about his knees and and 
what is he going to that, be? In that's the, the worry is the injuries, but I mean, yep. yeah, the ceiling is just a the ceiling is in a different building, yeah, <laughs> than the ceiling for most players. Uh, I yeah, I think you do it for sure. So like if if you could trade Shay for the pick that will be Cade Cunningham. You right. know, and, and I think it just depends on how Presty values players. Here's one that ever since we decided that we were going to do this on this podcast, I kind of had in my mind that I wanted to float to you guys. And I think this could be Shea's value uh, a, a, or a good measuring stick of his value across the league anyways. Um, what if the option was on the table, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and let's say you include Steven Adams in the trade, uh, but he's getting rerouted elsewhere, whatever. For Ben Simmons, I don't think I can do it. Yeah, I don't think I do it either. Taking the ups, I mean, Ben's already been an All Star, albeit yep. in the East. Uh, ben is probably a um, all all defensive team candidate for this year. He can't shoot the, shoot the ball for anything, right? So. I mean that that's an that one gives me pause. I think I take Shea there, but that one gives me pause. Obviously, Nick's example earlier of Jason Tatum, like the the Celtics are saying, hell no, obviously, right? But but I think players like Ben Simmons is, is kind of what you're looking at the trade value for Shea Gilgis Alexander right now, which is crazy. <laughs> I think it, it again it goes back to you know the value of somebody that you have is always going to be higher than somebody that you want and it's going to be higher than how teams view yeah. what you have. Definitely. Um, because I don't think that Philly entertains that trade for Ben Simmons. Do you? I don't, I don't think they do either. And from, Oh the, wow. See, I think they would. I think they really, really would. I, it's tough too, because from a the lengthy Thunder, guard who can shoot off a three off the dribble, who can get to the rim at will, who's got high defensive potential Put him at the one, Josh at the two, uh, Toby at the three or the four, Joel at the five. Like that's the fit makes sense. I just don't. I just I I don't see it happening. And from Oklahoma City's perspective, Ben Simmons I, is already on that max contract. Yeah, I don't think Shea the Thunder for, would be. I don't think the Thunder yeah. would be interested in that. But just just as a hypothetical, you know. Yeah. Um. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Um. What What would be Let's say that we get a Woj bomb tomorrow that says the Oklahoma City Thunder have traded Shea Gilgis-Alexander to insert team name. And it says, in exchange for, what does this next number need to be for you to not be pissed off? In exchange for blank first-round picks. Blank unprotected first-round picks from from said team. What's the number got to be for you to not be like, oh, dude, this sucks, I'm pissed. Six. I don't know. Yeah, I, man. Maybe not I was even gonna set six. the over under at at four and a half. Oh, uh, way more than four. If you, if you trade him away for four picks, something's wrong. Something's okay, wrong in the locker room. He's demanding a trade. Okay. Yeah, I I think I I lean towards the over. It's one of those things that there may be a number where it makes practical sense. But I feel like I'm so invested in SGA at this point that I'm not Definitely. sure there's a number yeah. that leads me <laughs> with to not be pissed off reading that Woj bomb. <laughs> okay, l- let me ask you this one in a hypothetical. Maybe this is just uh, a preference. 
uh, it could be a little bit of a projecting the future as well. Let's say uh, a Woj bomb comes out. The Oklahoma City Thunder have traded Shea Gilgis-Alexander to the Sacramento Kings for De'Aaron Fox, who Shea and Fox's numbers have been nearly identical this season. Um, is that a fair trade? Nope. You like Shea over, over Fox? 100%. There's no question to me. The numbers are the same. Fox is crazy explosive. Reminds me a lot of Russell Westbrook, but I, the amount of things that Shea has already shown flashes of what he can do. Like, there's nothing on the NBA basketball floor that Shea might not be a lead at one day. I don't know if you guys heard this. I, I forget what podcast it was on, but Royce Young said that, or maybe it wasn't a podcast. Royce Young said at his ceiling, Shea Gilgis Alexander is the guard version of Kawhi Leonard. Whew. And after I heard that, I never thought I would ever need to order Roman ever again. I was just <laughs> perma hard. Blue chew. Blue chew, whatever. Well, which, whichever boner pills we promote on this podcast. <laughs> um, I didn't need them because I already had one. That. <laughs> that's a spicy take no boys. kidding <laughs> um <laughs> i don't know if i agree with that um it sounds great and i would love for him to turn out to be the guard version of Kawhi, but that is a lofty comparison okay, i'm i'm in i'm here for it man i'm into it looks like jacob has joined nick and i in big d yeah <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna reverse Jacobs and talk about giving away draft picks. The summer that Giannis is a free agent, let's say the Bucks are just looking to get as much out of him at the trade deadline before that, knowing that he's not going to resign there. And Giannis has agreed that if he was traded to Oklahoma city, he would resign a max contract this summer. Um, do you trade Shea Gilgis Alexander plus X amount of picks for Giannis. So that that's that's the hypothetical. How many picks are you willing to give up with SGA to get Giannis knowing you're signing him to a max contract and he's going to be there for the next five years? Oh God, that's hard because <laughs> fuck you, Justin. <laughs> that's so <laughs> difficult because like what's the surrounding cast? Do the Thunder suck and are they tanking for draft picks? Yeah. If they are, you bring in Giannis. Okay, Giannis is awesome. He's probably the best player in the league at that time. But what do you have around him? Are you going to be able to contend? I don't know that I agree. I think you take Giannis yeah, I, and I, I, figure it out. <laughs> That's what I was saying, too. You you have a chance to get Giannis. Throw that hypothetical window of contention out, out the out yeah, the window it's again. Like new, it's like new plan. You you don't even consider that. You take Giannis and you let whatever happens happens because you're not going to get a guy like that ever again. It's a little bit like the Paul George trade. That's but what I, I was just thinking to that. the next level. I'm I was like, just yes, thinking that Domas and Vic are great, and I think it would have been fun to see them continue on in Oklahoma City. But like, it's Paul George. You're you're taking that trade. Yeah, I think it's that, but way bigger because it's Giannis. Do you guys ever? So you know how Thunder fans always talk about how they traded Serge Ibaka and essentially got Shea Gilgis Alexander and 15 million draft picks. Do you ever think about it from the Orlando perspective that <laughs> they traded two all-stars and Domas Sabonis and Victor Oladipo and got Terrence Ross? <laughs> I'm sure they do. I'm sure that oh, there's... God there's damn, it must suck to be an Orlando fan. So many examples that the Magic uh, can pull out in that same vein. 
All right, guys. Well, we've gone an hour and 10 minutes. Uh, I think we're probably good on this episode unless you guys have any parting thoughts on Shea Gilgis-Alexander trade value. I think I've said it all. Me likey. All right. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get out of here then. Hey, thank you guys so much for checking out the podcast. If this is your first time listening, can't tell you how much we appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. If you enjoy what you heard, please make sure to subscribe. We're dropping episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning for you. Also, go and drop a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts from. That helps our podcast be seen by more people, helps us grow, and we would really appreciate it. It's a really small token that you can give to us. It takes like 30 seconds of your time. If you're a longtime listener, as always, we appreciate the hell out of you. Please keep tuning in. Um, we'll be probably be doing more mailbag pods in the future, so make sure you're getting your questions in as well. Go check out betonline.ag. Play some bets. Win some money. I uh, hope you win. Also, lastly... To, uh, to all of our friends out there who are partaking in peaceful protests and trying to make their voices heard for change in this country, uh, we stand with you. We salute you. Black lives do matter. Um, you know, props to you guys. Do what you have to do to make your voices heard, and we stand in solidarity with you. You guys have a great beginning of your week. It's going to be nice out, at least in Oklahoma City. I don't know what the Big D looks like. I don't know if I want to look at the Big D, but... Big D always looks nice. <laughs> Thunder up. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.